at home in my closet, I've got this little jar that I put loose change in. Some of you probably do that too, have a jar you put loose change in. So every day I've got loose change, I stick it in that jar. And typically, I start doing that at the beginning of the year and just keep putting change in there through the year till about September. And in September, I dump all that change out of the jar into a bag and I take it down to the bank and I let them run it through the counting machine, which I'm convinced is, is not working properly. <laughs> Have y'all ever experienced that? You go in there and you think, I've counted this seven times and it always comes up short. I'm like, what's the problem? Anyway, another story. So I go in there and I get my cash back from whatever change I brought. And so I take that money. Then I go to um, the neighborhood outfitters and I get some gear, restock my supplies for the San Juan trip. That's what I'd save that money for. And so all year long, I'm saving up. I get 70, 80 bucks worth of change. I go buy some, some supplies and restock my stuff because come October, we'll be taking this trip to the San Juan River and I'll be helping guys learn how to fly fish. And I get a lot of joy from helping guys catch fish. And it's a lot of fun. So I get to restock my supplies. So I'm prepared to do that and experience that joy. And so really what I'm doing all year long, follow me on this, what I'm doing all year long, every time I put some change in that jar, I'm storing up joy for October because October I'm going to reap the joy from what I have done. Catch that picture? That, that, that compares nothing to what we're going to see Paul say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning. Let's look at that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's read verses 13 through 20. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 starting in verse 13. And for this reason, we also are giving thanks to God constantly or incessantly because when you received the word of God from us, you did not receive it as the word of men, but as it truly is, the word of God, which is currently working in you who believe. I love that first verse there because it gives us a really great perspective on the conversion experience of the Thessalonians. Here the Thessalonians are going about their business, doing their daily affairs, living their normal lives, and then these guys show up with Paul and begin to speak to them this message that is about this guy named Jesus Christ. And at first, the Thessalonians are hearing what Paul and his companions are saying as if the words are coming from people. But somewhere along the way, a shift occurs, and what they are once hearing from people, they then recognize they're hearing from God through those people. And all of a sudden, the Thessalonians realize God is speaking to us. And at that point, when the transition occurred, that they recognized they were not hearing the words of people. They were hearing the words of God spoken to their heart. They believed in Jesus Christ. And now that word that originally drew them to Christ is now working constantly in them to conform them to the image of Jesus Christ. And that's our story. That's our story of our salvation. Somewhere as followers of Jesus Christ, we can look back on that moment when the words of someone or the words written on these pages became the words of God to our hearts and we were quickened by the Spirit to trust in Jesus Christ. And ever since then, God has been speaking to us to change our lives. That is an incredible testimony of salvation. Love that description. Verse 14, 
you became imitators, brothers, of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. Because you were suffering the same kind of suffering from your countrymen, just as they also were from the Jews who killed Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us. They are not pleasing to God, and they are hostile or against every person. See, they were preventing us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved. So that as a result of that, their sins are always being filled up to the full measure. And wrath has come upon them to the fullest degree. What's interesting about this description, Jews who've killed Jesus and the prophets persecuted Paul and his companions, sought to put a stop to the spread of the gospel so others could be saved. This description that Paul gives right here of Jews, and he says that God's wrath is being poured out of them in the same degree that their sins are reaching to their magnitude in their lives. This description describes Paul before he came to know Christ. I think it's another great insight into our salvation. What is the message that Paul has brought to the Thessalonians? My sins were reaching daily their full measure in my rebellion against God. I am the chief of sinners. But God, when he could have poured out his wrath on me, Instead, poured out his mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. See, what we see in the description here of these Jews is Paul's own awareness of his position before Christ. And they're a picture of what he thinks about the mercy and grace of God. He deserved the wrath of God just as much as these. And yet he received God's grace and mercy. And that's the very message he has taken to the Jews, the Gentiles, and everyone God has placed around the Thessalonians. Amazing picture of God's grace and mercy. Fully deserving of God's wrath, but receive God's grace and mercy instead. Incredible. Verse 17. But we brothers were taken away from you for a short time, in person but not in heart. We are eagerly hastening or hurrying with great desire to see you face to face because We really wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once, and Satan cut us off. Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus in his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Now remember, Paul has written this letter to the Thessalonians, encouraging them to wait for Jesus Christ in a particular way. 
helping them know what it looks like to wait for the turn of Christ. He is giving them examples. He's encouraging them. He's pointing out things that are really exemplary. And he's basically given this guide to the Thessalonians as to how they should wait for Jesus' return. And right here, Paul talks about this experience that he's had with the Thessalonians and how that relates to the return of Jesus. And he said, the Thessalonians and what's happened there as they have heard God speak to them is for me going to be great joy, great glory, and a great crown of boasting when Jesus Christ comes back. And I want you to know, Thessalonians, how amazing you are to me because when Jesus comes back, I'm going to have eternal joy and glory and boasting at Christ's return because of you. That's what you mean to me. And so what Paul has done here is he's given this great explanation of how to wait for Jesus in such a way that you store up eternal joy at the return of Christ. And I love this description and this example that Paul gives us because it really gives us a handle on how we today can wait for Jesus Christ in such a way that we store up joy and glory and a crown of boasting when Jesus Christ returns. And that is a joy and that is a glory that none of us should miss out on as followers of Jesus Christ. So this morning, I just want to encourage you and equip you and and challenge you and exhort you to store up joy for the return of Jesus Christ so that when Jesus comes back, you will have unbelievable, unimaginable joy the moment he returns. You know know where it begins? I mean, if this morning we're going to walk out of here today and we're going to say, I'm going to live in such a way that I'm waiting for Jesus Christ by storing up joy for his return. You know where it begins? It begins for every single one of us hearing God's voice. That's where it begins. You need to find yourself in that place where you're hearing the voice of God. Where God says to you, your sins are being filled up To the full measure. And my wrath is due you to the full measure. But because you've trusted in Jesus Christ, I've taken all the wrath that's due you, and I've put that wrath on my son. And I've taken all the favor that was due Jesus Christ, and I have given it to you. You're forgiven. I've got no more wrath left for you. No matter what you've done, no matter how you've blown it, no matter how sinful you've become, I've taken all the wrath due you through your faith in Jesus Christ. I put it on Jesus Christ at the cross and I took all of my favor due my son and I gave it to you. You've got to hear the voice of God say that to your life. That's where it begins because that changes your orientation to everything. That changes the way you think about the rest of your life. That changes the way you think about your dreams. That changes the way you think about your job. That changes the way you think about your family. It changes everything when you start with hearing the voice of God in the heart of the gospel. You want to store up joy for the turn of Christ? Spend time 
constantly hearing the voice of God in the mercy of the gospel changes everything. When you start there, then you can become intentional about storing up joy for the return of Christ. And I just want to share just three observations from this passage that I think will encourage us all to be storing up joy for the return of Christ. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was, we had this little get-together for uh, supporting the Gillens in their adoption process. And there was this raffle during the deal. And they were selling these tickets to win a brisket and some barbecue sauce. And so I decided that I'd buy a couple t- tickets supporting a good cause the moment I purchased those two tickets, I just felt like this was a providential moment. felt like there was favor extended to me when I was handed that ticket. I went and sat down and just waited patiently for the moment when those tickets would be called out. Sure enough, they brought out this baggie and they drew the winning ticket. And as they read off the numbers and they got to the final two numbers, I was on target till the final number and the three was read. And I was like, that's me. I have won the brisket. And I walked up thinking, I've just experienced this divine appointment, this moment orchestrated by the providence of God. And you know what I was met with? Slander and false ridicule. I'm walking up to get the brisket and everybody starts yelling out, cheater, it was rigged. I'm like, I'm your pastor. Is this really what you think about me? Because right now, out of the heart is overflowing your mouth. And I'm going to lift this brisket up in your judgment. And every time I take a bite of it, I'm going to thank God that he's vindicated me by giving me the winning raffle ticket. Now let me just tell you, there are some moments in life you know are divine appointments. That was one of them. Now the challenge is that not every moment in life is like that, right? I mean, how many moments in life... You just kind of live, and it unfolds, and it happens, and you look back on it, and you think, I'm not sure I'm clued into the divine appointments that just happened to me today. Do you ever live three or four days, and you look back, and you think, what? I never even thought about what God was doing. Just Life just went on. And I just want to encourage you, observation number one, if you're going to store up joy for the return of Jesus Christ, here's what you need to do. You need to make sure that you are seeing every single encounter with every single person in your life as a divine appointment. I mean, that's how Paul walked into Thessalonica. He walked in there knowing that God had set him apart to be a bearer of the message of God to Jews, to Gentiles, and to kings. And that's how it was told to him through Ananias in Acts chapter 9. So that Paul would understand every encounter you have in your life from this point over is divine encounter for the sake of the gospel. We're not any different than that. I mean, God has told every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ, I have sent you into the world to make disciples. So that everywhere you go, whatever you're doing, you are to make disciples. In other words, every single encounter with every single person in your life is a divine encounter. Why do you live where you live? Why do you work where you work? Why do you shop where you shop? What's happening in those moments every single day is one divine encounter after another. 
And we will never store up joy for Jesus' return like we can if we fail to see that every single encounter with every single person is a divine encounter for those who follow Jesus Christ. There is nobody in your life that God has placed there that he does not intend to speak through you to that person. No one. We've just got to train ourselves. To see life the way God says it's unfolding. And you have one divine encounter after another. We just got to see them for what they really are. And if we'll do that observation number two, then we can just start talking about Jesus. We just start talking about what the Lord has done. We start talking about the message of the gospel. We start talking about how God is changing our life. We start talking about what God is doing in and around lives uh, that we are around, we, we just start talking about Jesus and sharing the gospel. When we see every encounter as a divine encounter, we start talking about the Lord in those encounters. We make the effort to talk about the Lord. We make the, the initiative to have conversations about the Lord. You know what you're going to begin to see? You're going to begin to see things happen in people's lives that look like what Paul saw with the Thessalonians. You realize that you weren't just hearing the words coming out of my mouth. But you are hearing the words coming out of my mouth straight from God's heart to your heart. And I'm just going to tell you, there, there is great, amazing wonder at experiencing someone recognizing, I've not just heard you talk to me, I've just heard God speak to me. You see, God wants to do that in all of our lives. But we won't experience it until we start seeing every encounter as a divine encounter and then actually talking about Jesus. We, we need to push against the, the danger of having relationships and friendships and situations in our lives that just go on and on in per, per, perpetuity and we don't ever speak about Jesus. This is a person that's a friend, is acquaintance, somebody I work with. I've never really said anything to him yet. I hope they see it in me and There's nothing wrong with demonstrating about Christ, but many people mistake your demonstration about being Christ-likeness as you just being a nice person. And and I just want to encourage you all to recognize that God has made you a spokesperson, an ambassador, a representative, so that He might use your mouth to speak to people who otherwise are not listening Our enemy is doing everything to prevent the message of the gospel to go out so that some might be saved. And you are the ambassador. You are the representative. And you've been given one divine encounter after another. And so start talking about Jesus. Start going into those moments and those relationships asking the Lord, what can I say today that you could use to speak to that person? The third observation is simply have the perspective of making an investment in somebody instead of having the perspective of I need to be invested in. You can think about it like this. I want to think more about investing in others than I think about someone investing in me. When I'm talking about investment, I'm just talking about encouraging others to consider Christ, to, to, to trust in the Lord. To follow Christ. You're just encouraging others. And there will be times in your life where you'll do that formally. 
And there'll be times in your life where you'll do that informally. Formally is where you're actually making an intentional, organized, structured time to get together with somebody, to encourage them in their walk with Christ, and to disciple them and push them forward as a follower of Jesus Christ. The informal is where just in the normal context of life and your divine encounters, you're actually seizing those moments to encourage others to consider Christ. There'll be both formal and informal opportunities in your life if you have the perspective, I want to care more about investing in others than I care about someone investing in me. Now, the reality is that every single one of us in here this morning probably senses a degree of need for someone to encourage us, right? I mean, who in here doesn't like encouragement? And we need it. And there are some of you sitting here this morning that may be in a place in life that you say, if someone doesn't invest in me, I just might sink because my life is falling apart at the seams. And and I just want you to know, if that's you this morning and you hear me saying you need to be more concerned about investing in others than you are having someone invest in you, I, I just want you to hear me clearly this morning. If that's you, you feel like your life is about to sink. I want you to know that you should tell somebody in our church. You can tell me, one of our other pastors. Because we got a, a whole host of people here that are ready to help you. And we want to invest in you. And these people that are ready to help you are not ready to help you because they have it all together. They're ready to help you because they're just trying to honor the Lord in their life by making an investment to help someone else. And we've got a lot of people ready to do that here. And so if that's you and you say, I can't invest in anybody today because I'm about to fall apart, please let us know. We really want to help. But I would encourage you to consider this truth that Jesus Christ said in Matthew 16, 25. Jesus said, if you want to find life, then you should lose it for my sake. See, what God has said is in his economy, if you really need to be encouraged, then one of the ways you can find encouragement is by giving your life away for somebody else. It's just how it works. And it just might be that part of the encouragement you need in your life will come through you having a focus on someone else as much as you might need to focus on yourself. So have a perspective, all of us. I want to invest in someone else as much or more than I want somebody else to invest in me. You know what will happen? You're going to find that you are storing up joy for the return of Christ. You know the great thing about storing up joy for the return of Christ is that no matter how hard life gets, no matter how difficult life becomes, no matter what difficulty we experience, nothing, absolutely nothing, can diminish the eternal joy we're storing up for the return of Christ. Nothing can interfere with it. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can prevent it. When we store up eternal joy by giving our lives for the gospel, by spending ourselves, seeing the divine encounters, sharing the gospel, investing in others, when we spend our lives for the sake of Christ, nothing can take away that joy that's stored up for the return of Christ. 
Well, you see it in the life of the Thessalonians and Paul's life. They were suffering persecution, the Thessalonians, because they were following Jesus. And so people were coming against the church, making their life really, really difficult, simply because they were following Christ. The Thessalonians did not lose their joy. You cannot take away eternal joy through the difficulties of living in this world following Christ. Paul said that Satan himself was hindering them from going to see the Thessalonians. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine being hindered by Satan in any endeavor is going to be a fun experience. Paul's not losing his joy that's stored up in heaven for the return of Christ. Nothing can prevent the storing up for joy when you spend your life for Christ. No difficulty, no hardship, no suffering. In fact, if we will live through the difficulties of this world, and there will be some. I mean, as we follow Jesus Christ, there are going to be things that are difficult in this life. It'll either be because we live in a broken world or because the enemy stands against us because some mistake we made. There are going to be hard times. And when those hard times come, if we will keep adhering to Christ and following Christ, do you know what's going to happen? Not only will our joy not be affected by the negative things negatively, but our joy will be increased as we follow Christ in the hardship. Now and forever. That's what the Bible teaches. Nothing is more important than your investment in eternal joy. And nothing will stop you from storing up joy in heaven. I think we need to make every effort to store up some joy. To do everything we can to store up joy for the return of Jesus Christ. Because here's the deal. You don't want to miss that joy. That glory and that crown of boasting. I've told this story before, but it really illustrates this point. And I just love this story. Back when I was in high school, I went to this birthday party, a graduation party. And uh, this one particular guy came into the graduation party or whatever kind of party it was. And, and he was kind of doing some stuff and saying some stuff. He probably had a little bit to drink. And he was not exactly in his full faculties. And so he was saying things and doing things. It was a little obvious. He was a little out of control. And one of the things that he was doing during that time was using Jesus' name as a profane word. And so I just kind of walked up to him when nobody else was around and said, hey, I was wondering maybe if you might reconsider your choice of words because when you say Jesus Christ like it's a cuss word, I just want you to know that affects me because Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I worship him. I love him. He's changed my life. He's the most important thing in my life. And so when you use that as like a cuss word, that's, that's kind of, it just doesn't set well with me. And he and I were friends and he said, yeah, I, I didn't mean to offend you. No big deal. Sorry about that. I'll try to watch that. And uh, I mean, it'd be so I was thinking about what would that be like today for me? It would be kind of like if I walked into a room and, and these guys were sitting around and they started to badmouth my wife. Well, I'd probably say, hey, back off, sucker. That's my wife. You, tell, you know, I mean, that's the kind of the attitude. If, if, if someone's saying something, doing something, living a certain way, and you can lovingly encounter them, well, that's what I did. I tried to do, and, and nothing really happened except they stopped using Jesus' name in vain. So I went on the, my way, and about a year or so later, I get a letter from this guy. And in that letter, he says, I just want to thank you for what you did that night. Because what you did that night was used by God to bring me to Christ, along with several other things. And I, I heard God. And I want you to know, and this is the phrase he used, I want you to know you'll have a crown in heaven because of what you did. 
So someday, when Jesus Christ returns, me and Matt are going to stand there, and I'm going to say, you are my joy, my boasting. Because Jesus Christ rescued a sinner like me and used me as a vessel for the word of God and rescued another sinner like you. And we stand here as display through the ages of the kindness of God. And I am here to say, you are my joy. Now, we all want something like that. We all want to have people in our lives that we can say, you're my joy, you're my glory at the return of Christ. God wants every one of us to have people in our lives, in the wake of our lives, scattered throughout the world that would say, you are the reason that God spoke to me. You are the conduit. You are the vessel. You are the person. And for us to be able to say, I've got nothing but joy in the mercy of God for using me in his kingdom. Store up some joy. Just see every encounter as divine encounter. Then just start talking about the Lord. And really try to make an investment. And you're going to store up so much joy, you can't imagine what that moment of eternity will break into reality like. It would be amazing. I don't want you to miss how Paul starts this passage. He starts this passage by saying, we are so thankful for you, constantly, incessantly giving thanks. You know what that means? That if you live to spend your life for the gospel, you're not just storing up joy for when Jesus returns. You are overwhelmed with joy now so that you are constantly thankful. Listen, there is nothing like waiting for Jesus Christ to return by storing up joy for his return. You will never regret this kind of life. And it is an invitation that Jesus Christ has given every one of us who has experienced his mercy. Amen? We got a good group of people headed overseas at the end of this week to store up some joy. That's why we're going, to glorify Christ and store up some joy. The rest of you are staying here to store up some joy. And I want us to spend just a few minutes as we close out this morning praying, okay? So those who are in our service today who are going to Thailand, can you just stand up real quick so everybody can see where you're at? I just want everybody to see you. So stand up and keep standing. All right, now you guys have seen where they're at, okay? Okay, now you guys can sit down. Thank you very much. Okay, so here's what I want us to do. I want us to gather in groups of three or four And if you happen to be around somebody that's going to Thailand, then you know to pray for them specifically, all right? And so here's what I want us to do. Get into some groups around there, and we're going to pray for a few minutes. I'm going to give you three prayer points, all right? Here are the three prayer points. We're going to frame these biblically. Remember last Sunday how we framed the idea of praying for rain biblically? We're going to do that again today with these three points. The first point, as you can see, is we're going to pray that all of us would live for the sake of the gospel, seeing divine appointments in our everyday lives in every encounter. In other words, we're not looking for the thing that says divine. We're already believing that everything is a divine encounter. And so we're going to speak the words of Jesus Christ, and we're going to pray that people would hear the voice of God through us. All right, so that's the first one. We're going to really live for the sake of the gospel here and there. So we're going to pray that that will happen in our 
church family. All right? Number two, I want you to pray for the stability that uh, we need in Thailand for the kingdom of God to be on display through our lives, both what we do and what we say. Now, that's coming out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. You can write that down. And that verse is Paul urging believers to pray on behalf of every person. And the way he prays is, I want you to pray specifically for the rulers, that they would rule in a way that the believers could live in peace and tranquility and display the gospel because it's the heart of God that everyone be saved. And so we're just going to follow Scripture's mandate there, and we're going to pray for the rulers in Thailand to rule in such a way that there would be a stability in Thailand for us to do what God has called us to do for the sake of the kingdom. Okay, so we're going to frame that, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 4. All right, the next prayer we're going to pray, if you are led this way, is for safe travel. Hear people say, Lord, keep us safe as we travel, those kinds of things. Well, in Ezra chapter 8, Ezra is on his way back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And he actually gathers the people that are going to head back, and he says, let's pray and let's fast because we want God to protect us as we travel because I already told the king that if we're doing what he wants, he's going to protect us. It'd really look bad if he doesn't protect us, so we're going to pray that God will protect us for his namesake. And they prayed and they fasted. God answered the prayer, protected him, and the king had no reason to dishonor God and the word that Ezra spoke about God. All right, so that's the Old Testament framework. Now let's go to the New Testament framework. Any prayer or anything you see about God or what God might do in the Old Testament, you've got to make sure you see that through the framework or the lens of the New Testament. So you have a proper perspective on the time in which we live. What's happening in the Old Testament is not the time in which we live. We're living on this side of the cross, and we have to see things through the lens of the New Testament. So let's, let's think about praying for safe travel as demonstrated in the Old Testament, through the lens of the New Testament. Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Paul says, what I really want, what I'm really desperate about, is that Christ would be exalted whether by my life or by my death. And then he says that phrase we all know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, can we pray for safe travel? Yes. Should we pray for safe travel? Absolutely. But we must not pray for safe travel as if safe travel were the end in itself. We're not praying for safe travel so that our families get to see us again. I want to be home and see my family. I want to be here to preach again. Don't get me wrong. But I cannot biblically pray for safe travel because my heartbeat is to avoid the difficulty of death. That's not biblical. I want to pray for safe travel as long as my safe travel is the greatest way to exalt Christ. You see, I want the exaltation of Jesus more than I want safe travel. I know moms and dads who have students going on this trip. This is a hard one. We have to pray with the exaltation of Jesus Christ as our priority when it comes to safe travel. Because there are moments when our safety is not in the best interest of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And he matters more. So, when we pray for safe travel, 
pray, Lord, we want safe travel. We want everybody to return home. We want loved ones and families to be reunited, but we want it for the further exaltation of Jesus Christ. And if you deem that the exaltation of Jesus Christ comes in another way, then you prepare our hearts to walk through that by faith. But what we want more than anything is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. We're asking that it would be done through safe travel. That's biblical.